Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Debo Samuel is probably one of the most important wide receiver valuations for 2020 rookies that not many people are talking about. Mostly because he's not a 2020 rookie, right? But I don't think... Maybe? No one's pointed it out, or maybe everyone knows and hasn't said it. So I'm going to say it. What you think about Debo Samuel actually has a lot of relevance to your top five rookie wide receiver this year. Oh yeah, welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is in fact a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Weird intro, I know. But... This is actually earlier in the week. Earlier in the week, I usually record for the Dynasty Crossroads, but for some reason, because the grind doesn't stop, I was on my way home today, and I just got on a thought train, and eventually I ended up in this place where I was thinking, Debo Samuel isn't being spoken enough about when evaluating rookie wide receivers this year. And also, unless I miss my guess, and, you know, I miss my guess a lot. (laughs) So, you know... Reality check me here. I think we might be, or I think there's at least a section, because we're never all everything, obviously. But there's a section, or a noisy section maybe, to enter into my bubble that has a lot higher expectations for Debo Samuel than I do. And that, conversely, created a lot of noise for the top five rookie wide receivers this year. So I thought maybe it would be an interesting subject for an episode, and I got to running on about it in my head, and here I am recording. So we'll see if it turns into a decent episode. No, you guys let me know at PA Audi on Twitter, at Dino Crossroads on Twitter. If I was going to rename this podcast, by the way, I'd rename it The Grind or something with that in the title, because it seems to be, you know, quote-unquote part of my brand on Twitter to talk about The Grind. And it's come to encompass so much lately. Uh, You know, the grind isn't just working statistics or pointing out statistics, uh, the grind as well as grinding tape. It's so much about how much we do for this fun little hobby of ours and how much we give up for it, how much we grind in our lives. You know, we rush home to spend several hours working for free at a hobby, even if we're not, you know, stupid enough to make a podcast or arrogant enough to talk to other people about it on Twitter and post graphs like me. So, yeah, I think I'd call it The Grind or something like that. I'm not gonna rename it. One, I think that'd just be a pain in the ass. 
I think renaming it and getting all the RSS feeds and everything straightened up would probably be just too much trouble. And also, I kind of like remembering that Jake was here once. Anyway, just a reminder, Jake's still out there, still putting out interesting tweets and has opinions on this wide receiver class. So why Debo Samuel? Um, Debo Samuel directly relates to the top five rookies, I think, this year. Because I haven't seen a good list or anyone from someone I respect that doesn't have Debo uh, Samuel's teammate, Brian Edwards, somewhere in, if not close to, maybe, the top five. Uh, film and analytics alike, um, he's standing out. For some, most of the people I respect, or I know, respect makes it sound like anyone that doesn't doesn't know what they're talking about. That's by, by no means true. I'm sure. I know a small fraction of people, even in this community, and uh, most of them are better than me. So, I think uh, I saw one... The name Ryan sticking in my head. Uh, Ryan something... I think he like literally works for the NFL. Very respect scout. I think the only interaction we ever had was him not being happy with me. So that's not a good memory. Uh, for him, I guess, I, I, I'm really okay with that kind of interaction on Twitter. But um, he wrote an article comparing Brian Edwards to Mohamed Sanu, and that was interesting because it relates back to my Debo Samuel conversation. That's why it's coming up. Um, Mohamed Sanu was an interesting prospect. I, I liked him. Um, in fact, him, Marvin Jones... Um, and there's another guy whose name escaped me right now, who's an undrafted free agent from the Bengals, actually had me for a while thinking that there was someone, or at least a group of people on the Bengals staff, who seriously knew what they were doing with wide receiver evaluation. They were getting some really interesting, decent prospects with less draft capital than you'd normally have to spend. And they, they were hitting on some players, you know, all at the same time. But that died pretty quick, so I gave up on that. But, and the undrafted free agent never quite, quite rose to where I thought he might have been able to but you know it's a hard path he could still have been good and we just just never cracked for him uh, still time maybe um getting off point but Mohamed Sanu back to the point so I can get back to Brian Edwards and back to Debo Samuel uh, Mohamed Sanu as an interesting prospect but nowhere near like an AJ Green or even a Tyler Boyd someone that I like but not as much you know you have different ranges of expectations that's what tears are about for some people with prospect evaluation um and Tyler Boyd's another good one like I I loved his prospect evaluation like he was my wide receiver one in that class obviously Michael Thomas is the wide receiver one in football and fantasy football right now and I am and he's my constant outlier the reminder to always look for more context because I whiffed on that class entirely, except for the one player, really only the only player I liked in that class, Tyler Boyd. I had to wait three years. He was a third-year breakout. But, like, vindication happened. So, you know, love Tyler Boyd. But never saw wide receiver... Wide receiver one, such a weird term. Never saw A.J. Green level upside in Tyler Boyd. Just a fantastic player in a different role that doesn't really hit that level of fantasy upside for us. And maybe some of this is partly the way the nature of the wide receiver position. All positions in the NFL wax and wane, go up and down, and wide receiver ones look different now. The only one that's really standing out as a difference maker at the wide receiver position in 2019 is Michael Thomas, and he did it through volume, also being a very good player. But he didn't do it with efficiency and big playness, maybe. Like we... Maybe stereotypically, although inaccurately, more look for an all aspect prospect wide receivers like like the AJ Greens, like the Julio Joneses, like the Calvin Johnsons. 
they were always rare. There was never a season uh, or a period in the NFL where those were the norm. That's when I got into fantasy football. That I was not told. It was, it was an assumption I took from the way it's spoken about that there was a period in fantasy football where everyone looked like um, Calvin Johnson, and we're, we're going to get back to it soon. And, and now I'm further into it. It never actually existed. Andre Johnson syndrome, call it. And no, it never really existed. They always look different. They always wax and wane. They're all they all look like unicorns, and the periods change time to time. And right now, we're in a period where how to describe them when wide receiver one and two don't do it, I, I think of them as volume versus efficiency type receivers. And Tyler Boyd looked like a volume guy, like an incredibly talented guy that was never going to be again a, a, an efficiency guy guys doing it with big plays or large yards per reception yards per target type aj green calvin johnson type receivers um and <coughs> i'd already pushed back against the target myth of you know someone leaves there's lots of targets available and in a whole episode and i think i did a really good job with that one it's one still one of the most listened to episodes and the myth still persists if my friends at the dlf podcast network can't stop saying things like michael gallup might get a lot more targets if amari cooper leaves and that's his ceiling that's where his ceiling comes from then i don't know how i can expect the community in general to take on this like the myth is but like it is a myth I, i think not statistically or analytically it does not work that way in the nfl you can look at it however you like go watch the tape on players after dominant wide receiver ones leave Yes, there is a ceiling limit if you've got another volume receiver like Jarvis Landry for Odell Beckham. That's fair. That's just reason. That's expected. But when you look at the levels of what good players do when on the same team, good players help good players. Maybe the limit of their ceilings. But there isn't a target vacuum. That thing is a myth. It might create an opportunity vacuum for another good player to maybe get a look that he wouldn't have otherwise. Yes, I agree with that everything's context in an individual situation, but that doesn't exist. So Tyler Boyd's ceiling is an A.J. Green if A.J. Green is off the field. And Michael Gallup's ceiling shouldn't be adjusted if Mari Cooper leaves. And and Tyler Boyd isn't going to become a top-five wide receiver next year because A.J. Green might not be there. And I keep using the same two players. But <laughs> but going back to type of wide receivers, there are a million different types of wide receivers, just like there are a million different types of people. There's many types of wide receivers that are NFL wide receivers that simple but you can group them by category or style or similarities right and and you can come up with as many types as you like but i think volume and efficiency that's that's always how it works in my head Uh, as the two basic types now your your volume wide receiver might well be the wide receiver one for fantasy on that team depends on the nature of them like amari cooper is more volume than he is efficiency and uh, michael gallup's more efficiency than he is volume but Michael Gallup's good at doing that, and Amari Cooper is good at doing his thing, and both on the same team worked out really well last year. If Amari Cooper goes, then Michael Gallup won't turn into a volume receiver, and while the volume can be adjusted up slightly because they were limiting each of the ceilings, he won't become efficiency receiver with Amari Cooper of a volume. Those are two two different types of things. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Again, go listen to the damn episode. I did a better job of it there. But taking it back to Tyler Boyd and then going back to Debo Samuels, Debo Samuels looks like that type of receiver, a volume guy and not a Jarvis Landry ceiling 
type guy. Jarvis Landry is one of the few players who are so extremely good at being volume receivers that they had top five, literally top five upside one season. Like, that's rare. It, it includes some situation. And that player has to be particularly good at the way they do it. Ma- Michael Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, is a volume receiver who's the wide receiver one. And he's got big plays. And again, you know, mischaracterize my arguments and if you want. I thought about saying, like, don't mischaracterize me. But honestly, mischaracterize me. Come at me on Twitter. It's fine. That's part of the fun. But as long as I'm expressing it simply, that, you know, Tyler Boyd can have big plays, and so can Michael Thomas. And maybe Michael Thomas has a lot more than uh, Tyler Boyd. And that's very true. But the nature of Michael Thomas's game is a lot more centered around volume. So take it back to Debo Samuels that's what I see with Debo Samuels he severely impressed me like he broke out at 921 I think which is outside the range of the golden range of 19 to 20 I had questions about them but as I've learned to add more context in um Debo Samuels is someone I was able to come back in on a little bit from the 2019 class taking in the observations from someone like Jake Anderson and further context for how he was injured around those years um, age-adjusted production instead of just breakout age. Um, I was able to come back in a little bit. He wasn't my favorite in the class, but I didn't tank him like I did someone like Paris Campbell. Apologies to Zach Reed, who is one of my favorite people. Dog, really? Sorry, my dog's decided now it's the perfect time to have a barking match with a tree. All right, back to Debo Samuels. Like, I do think there's a section. I see, I've caught wind of it. Like, he's going to be amazing. Like, he has top 5, top 12 upside. And I would really th- rather categorize him as top 24 upside. And again, mischaracterize me and come at me on Twitter if you want. But that's not shade. Just listen to enemy or prospect evaluations or all the work I've been doing on um, rookies for this year or last year. Like, desperately hoping to find a player who might have top 24 upside. Like, it, it's a hell of a thing. Debo Samuels impressed me. Fantastic rookie year. We should expect more good things from him. So, you know, whatever. Call that Debo Samuel hate if you want. But, like, I'm not seeing that top 5, top 12 upside. Unless you completely buy into the idea the NFL has completely changed. And guys like Debo Samuels are where the top 12 are going to be. Which, In that case, you have to buy into the trend of wide receiver 5s. Top 5 wide receiver, top 12 wide receivers not being difference makers enough that they should be valued like previous top 5, top 12 wide receivers who were doing it like Calvin Johnson... AJ Green and and still Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. Hey, uh, later, Pete. Listening back to the episode as I sometimes do, um, realized I meant to mention in this section that if you want someone with that kind of upside, interestingly, DJ Moore is is the guy to go get. Like. He's also interesting. I wish I'd fit him in so I could talk about it a little bit more. Right now, I'm just trying to do a quick ad here. Um, he's someone who doesn't e- easily fit the two-category system of volume and efficiency. He's someone that I really liked as a prospect because of it as well. He looks like a volume receiver and an, efi- and an efficiency receiver. He's really interesting in the middle. Again, just in the way those categories work in my head. But I do think he's someone... That maybe has, uh, well, definitely has more upside. Like that, that trying to add in, you know, 
useful fantasy advice for this. That so that'd be the guy. Bring that all back to Debo um, Samuel. Well, again, really look, we have statistical evidence for the nature yeah, of his games next season, but in the NFL, yeah, so I can explain this a little better. But this does go back to college prospect evaluation. I promise I'm circling a background there. Debo Samuel's had an A dot of around seven point four. And I, I know I'm a quote-unquote analytics guy, and I don't know if anyone ever comes on to listen to this podcast. It's like, this guy rarely mentions numbers, and it's because I put so much of the effort into understanding this to create storage, create a context, because that's the way I do it. I'm not genetically, uh, I guess, a statistical guy. I don't memorize well. I don't memorize numbers well. I have to build the image the prospect there are some numbers i know um very well and one of them is around a dot you know you've got around that um 9.8 a dot is kind of a tipping point into a different kind of wide receiver under that you're looking most of those guys if they're great are volume receivers by my definitions and over that if they're great they're mostly efficiency receivers it's pretty good line to know like knowing that uh, racer the best efficiency f- metric for wide receivers in the NFL and wish we had something and wish we had a dot and air yards for college prospects like you wouldn't believe but um like 0.69 or 0.7 is like average good right under that and below that it's a good line it's a good number to actually know it's one of those numbers that sticks in my head but um Debo Samuels fits into that if he's good and it definitely looks like he is we definitely should buy into that but again call it hey if you want it's beyond hopeful expectation to think that a volume receiver has a season like Jarvis Landry did. Like, they just don't. And going back to his college profiles, even though I came in a little bit more, I knew he did some of it with rushing by his multifaceted, talented game. And he can be incredibly impressed with that. His athleticism is, is amazing. He can rush. He can run jet sweeps. He can run down the field. He can do everything. I mean, it's really impressive, but if we're boiling that down to fantasy, those guys who have multifaceted roles have lower ceilings Historically, I mean, you're talking about her, Percy Harvin, pull a name out of a hat, like great players, and hopefully Debo doesn't have the problems that Percy had, obviously. But like, the, there's a, almost a lower ceiling anyway, just because of the nature of the play. And then there are always exceptions, Jarvis Landry, and there will be others, obviously. So maybe Debo Samuels is one. Again, call it hey if you want, but likely expectation puts him in a lower range. And so this fringe or this segment that, have a lot of hope for Debo Samuels, as they should, but I think it might be pushed by, too far by some. How that gets back to Brian Edwards, I have no idea. No, I do know. Um, Brian Edwards and Debo Samuels played on the same team. Debo Samuels beat Brian Edwards out in terms of just raw stat yards and also market share of yards. Each year they were both playing healthy. And remember, Debo Samuels um, had two unhealthy years, and he also played a year um, before Brian Edwards got on the team. So, but I, I actually put out a mistaken tweet once to say that Brian Edwards was higher in market share of yards or higher in yards than Debo Samuels was in the one year that they played together and they were both healthy and, you know, they developed into their role on the team. And that wasn't true. In Debo Samuels last, and I put out a correction tweet. I try not to delete things on Twitter because mistakes, I learn more from mistakes than anything else. And I got no, no desire to hide mine. I mean, I just don't. I, I'm, I'm okay with being wrong. In fact, I, I'm happy to learn from it. But um, that, and that goes into my philosophy and the way I tweet. But anyway, maybe I should script myself. I don't know that, guys. <laughs> but um, going back to uh, Brian Edwards, Brian, the reason that, that 
I made that mistake was when looking at both players, I'd made an assumption about the nature of the way they were produced. Now, I used to actually have columns in my database showing the difference between Mark's share of receptions and Mark's share of receiving yards because JJ Zacharyson mentioned it. And if someone like that mentions something, I pretty much hound the world until I can track it and take a look at it myself because it's one hell of a guy to follow the lead on, right? Recently taking it out because when you apply it broadly, for someone like me, at least, without a J.J. Zacharyson genetically engineered, as far as I can tell, mind for statistics, it misled me more than it helped me. But I do know from having ground, literally the grind, on these numbers a lot, that looking at the picture, literally the graphs I produce on the market share of yards and seeing their market share of receptions and market share of yards gives you a decent idea of the way a player produces, especially when you hear someone like Debo Samuels who's also a jet sweeper or a dynamic athlete that was used in other parts of the game like the brushing game specifically so I always kind of had him pegged in that upside was top 24 wide receiver a remarkably talented top 24 wide receiver different than Tyler Boyd in every way I'm sure in the way they play or the things they can do in a football field when you grind the tape but in terms of fantasy ceilings and floors you know now, that's important to me when profiling Brian Edwards, because he developed a role on the team behind Debo Samuels. Both the years that Brian Edwards was playing without Debo Samuels, he achieved higher market share of yards than Debo Samuels did when he was on the team. Now, the caveat to that is Brian Edwards got to play without Debo Samuels. Debo Samuels never got to play before Brian Edwards, except that one year before Brian Edwards joined the team, but that's one of Debo Samuel's early years, so it's really hard to judge. You know, we get better as we play through, or they get better as they play through college, not me. Jeez, I never get better on anything. So it's a little hard to judge him on that. Um, and it's easy to say that that's a ceiling difference, right? Brian Edwards hit a higher market share of receiving um, touchdowns and everything else than Debo Samuels, because Debo Samuels wasn't there to limit his ceiling. So I've Back, strong back away from the idea that Brian Edwards was more productive in college from that way. But the nature of the way they produced their yards, looking at their receptions to their yards, just their market share, just having stared at this stuff a lot. Again, I'm not someone that's going to throw a wall of numbers at you. I try to accurately verify all my data and put that out there, and then I try to talk and write about the patterns that I see. I mean, if you want a wall of data, go check out, uh, for podcasts, go check out J.J. Zacharyson. The man's got a... Uh, wall of numbers he can always throw and is an incredibly good communicator at this stuff or Tyler Gee who I recently just saw in his bio on Twitter is a former podcaster and that's got me very upset because his podcast Vital Fantasy Information was great and that's literally what he did he concentrated on getting the data out there and what it meant whereas me I try and focus on that second part not so much as the quoting the numbers I mean they're all on, pinned to my Twitter timeline if you want to see them you can see them anytime I don't feel like reading them, <laughs> is my my game on podcasts. But anyway, so looking at the nature of the way past players and past successful players and Debo Samuels are produced, that's just what was in my head. And thinking about that, that perhaps that some people have the element of thinking that Debo Samuels is has higher upside or higher likely upside, higher ceiling. And it got me thinking about how your view of Brian Edwards really strongly relates to, uh, or Debo Samuels really strongly relates to Brian Edwards. Because if you're trying to put the story or the idea or the statistical modeling together of Brian Edwards in the top five rookies in this year's class, and he does, he is expected to get less draft capital than I would think would be reasonable based on a college player who played that well in college. But, you know, the NFL is the NFL. They're going to get to decide that, obviously. 
but they look like just having stared at these numbers way too much opposite types of receivers now Debo Samuels is very good he's in the NFL we at least know that and Brian Edwards is earning an incredible share almost the same in some years when they played in the same team in terms of receiving yards receiving receptions but he was being frankly to put it bluntly more efficient now the only efficiency metrics we can really do and um, from college and this is where it gets a little tricky and why I can't there's an all in numbers I could even memorize to throw at you with this is yards per team pass attempt which is an incredibly good statistic as you get to know it because it's probably going to overtake market share eventually even though I still prefer market share or um, yards per reception yards per reception is trash <laughs> it's it's yards per carry of wide receivers it's a little better than yards per carry but it, it's still kind of trash yards per target is obviously better racer a dot much better thing so we don't have to worry about it when we, but when we get to college we're kind of stuck with it unless you're behind a hell of a paywall to get better raw statistics the stuff that us the grinders out here outside the paywalls have really can't do better than that um, but to throw some context in there, Debo Samuels had a good yards per reception. I believe it was over 15. Um, Brian Edwards had a low yards per reception. I believe it was just over 14. Low compared to Debo Samuels. But the reason we can say yards per reception is kind of trashy is because Golden Tate had like an over 17 yards per reception during his college season. Cooper Cup was also up over 16, 17. Yards per reception doesn't really describe the nature of the way the player is gaining reception, gaining production or playing on the football field. And really, we don't have efficiency sets to do that. But I can say from experience, from having looked at this a lot, if you have a good image of one that history and their rocket area of receptions and yards, and you do get a very decent sense. Like I was using nothing else to profile Tyler Boyd and it got got it right. Cooper Cup got it right. Um, I don't always get it right. So like there were misses in there as well. Um trying to think of one that looked like a volume receiver and became an efficiency player outside of Jarvis Landry, who I think, again, I've put him in a different thing. Um, I really can't think of one. <laughs> like, it, it's to the point that there will be exceptions, but they're more on the rare side. I'm not going to use a fucking outlier word, because that's way too overused at this point. So, if you think Debo Samuels was good... And we do definitely now think he's good, but he's a different type of player in the NFL. And Brian Edwards was earning decent shares, competing with Debo Samuels. So as as more as difficult as it can be is to have another NFL caliber wide receiver on your team that you're competing with for targets. Like this happens rarely. That's why we don't have another sample size to really compare it. But when they do, they usually do what Debo Samuels and Brian Edwards did together, which is both get over incredibly important thresholds, which are not easy to meet. So, if you think Debo Samuels actually has that higher upside, then that should make you look at Brian Edwards and think that he was the efficiency receiver on his college team, but Debo Samuels was actually better, and therefore that profiles his his production in a different light. Like, yeah, sure, he's productive the most, but not of an NFL player. But if these guys were playing those slightly different roles in college, which I think they were, and then you transfer into the NFL... And they were both as good. I'll give Debo Samuels that. De Brian Edwards did it more, needed it more earlier in the most important years, but whatever. On the same team, in the same situation, then we should be very hopeful for Brian Edwards. And he's very hopeful in a different way, because if you believe the trend that I'm espousing here, he's 
good on a football field in a very different way, in a more efficiency, as I've described the category, type of wide receiver. And that's a more, quote-unquote, traditional type of wide receiver one. So what you think, uh, and, and if you think Debo Samuel's upside is more muted, then that maybe downgrades Brian Edwards, if that's the way you want to put the story together. Um, in that he was the efficiency reaver, not able to overcome the volume receiver in college, and you don't really see that much of upside in the efficiency reaver now, receiver now he's in the NFL. Now, I honestly think after 800 years, yards in your rookie season, if you don't see good upside in Debo Samuel, then you probably should. <laughs> but uh, but that's okay too, if that's what you see, if you're using other analytics or other um, views from your own self that has... Debo downgraded slightly, like the expectations should be muted, that also affects what how you could see or understand what Brian Edwards did in college. So I really think that the way that Brian Edwards should be viewed in this draft class depends somewhat, um, at least, on your view of Debo Samuels. And I've tried to, you know, I've gone through why I think that Debo Samuels is muted to a muted to a top incredible he's gonna be an incredibly good player to watch. Like in the NFL with this this multi talented game that he's got. Like it's rare. Rare as hell. It's gonna be really enjoyable. But for fantasy I just don't think that often produces top twelve, definitely not top five numbers. Can happen. Hopefully he proves me wrong. I want more point fantasy points in the league, not less, obviously. Um and for that for me, that means that Brian Edwards playing behind him, getting higher marker share yards when he wasn't there, in a more efficient style, even though yards perception doesn't show that. The dif- disparity between his market share of receptions and re- market share of receiving yards definitely does. Like, you're more hopeful for it. <clears throat> Having said that, if the draft rumors are true, like they were true on Kelvin Harmon last year, it's going to be a lot harder to stand up for Brian Edwards in the top five of wide receivers in this class. But until that day comes, people, if you like Debo Samuels, Brian Edwards should be looking real good to you right now. Anyway, that's what I was thinking of on the way home. Hopefully it's interesting. If it's not, I guess. I don't know. I don't have an if. I'm just going to keep doing this, guys. It's too much fun. Uh, Let me know if you you have any subjects, questions, anything like that that you want me to talk about, profile, research to do Dynasty Crossroads episodes on. You can hit me up at at PAHowdy on Twitter. Thanks very much for checking us out this week, and I will talk to you again next time. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. 
Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So Jake on the table and they on the place though. Peter Numo is the place they're analytical.